This is BTS with CTV, behind the scenes, behind the stories we bring you from the CTV Vancouver newsroom. My name is Penny Daphos and I'll be your guide behind the curtain to what may be the biggest challenge for journalists during the pandemic, and that's access to policymakers, government agencies, and companies that have impacts on our lives. I'm joined by investigative reporter John Woodward and our legislative bureau chief, Binder Sajjan. Welcome to the pod. It's been a while. Yeah, great to be here. Well, so I just want to start out uh, because we've spoken on this issue many times, but I wanted to go into more detail so the public can really understand what we're dealing with on a daily basis. So just uh, as a starting point, since the pandemic began, the local TV stations have formed a consortium where we agree to a pool camera. That's where one camera operator from one station will shoot an event or an interview, share the footage instantly with everyone who's in the consortium, and we all take turns. This is a rare arrangement that's usually only done for special circumstances. Um, For example, I can think of during extreme wildfire seasons, um, officials agree to take a camera operator into their government helicopter to survey what's going on as seen by the experts. There's limited rooms, so we all agree to share footage if one TV station gets access and we're all looking for it. Um, In this circumstance, with distancing requirements, we've basically been sending a single camera on behalf of all the TV stations since March. So City of Vancouver, Surrey RCMP, the briefings with the provincial health officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry, what you're seeing is one camera shooting for everybody. And while some agencies have required that the reporters are not allowed in the building at all and we have to phone in our questions, not everybody does. And this is where it starts to get sticky. So this is where I want to start with Bender, because lately you've been kind of our point person on these government uh, press conferences where we get the COVID-19 updates. Sketch out a little bit for us what it's like uh, jumping into that um, on the phone. There's the hold music we hear about. Uh, What is it like (laughs) trying to get in on those government pressers? Yeah, I mean, and I think the earliest I called in once was 35 minutes before the scheduled start time. So I'm very familiar with that hold music. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, you're trying to jump in because you want to make sure that you get in the queue. There is a limited amount of time for Dr. Bonnie Henry and um, Adrian Dix to speak to reporters. And so We at CTV often have several questions, so we want to make sure that we are able to get in that queue. So you go in, you tell the operator what your name is, um, and they put you in. You have to hit the certain number, star one, to make sure that you can line up and ask a question. Then usually we get, you know, um, the opening remarks from Dr. Henry and Adrian Dix. Good afternoon. My name is Adrian Dix. I'm BC's Minister of Health. To my right is Dr. Bonnie Henry, BC's Provincial Health Officer. It's our COVID-19 briefing for British Columbia for Monday, November the 3rd. And then you are called on at some point. Like you don't know when you're going to be up in the queue. Anton Sieve, thank you very much. Merci beaucoup. We're happy to take your questions. Thank you, Minister. As a reminder to everybody on the phone, please press star one to enter the queue. You are limited to one question and one follow-up only. I would also ask that you please unmute your phones. You will not be audible until your name is called. You don't know if somebody before you is going to ask the question you want to have asked or if they're going to ask it in a different way where it only partially gets answered. Next question is from Binder Sajjan, CTV. Uh, Hi, Dr. Henry. I'm just wondering, you know, a lot of people rely on these numbers on a daily basis, have quite an interest in them. And I'm just wondering how it is that the data was so wrong for Fraser Health for so many days. (laughs) Well, this is... uh 
the travails of our IT systems um, and the fact that we've uh, increased capacity in our lab by bringing in uh, other uh, labs. And you're trying um, to make your questions, often we're told in journalism, like you make your questions sort of as broad as possible, but because we're dealing with information that the public wants and often about clarification, you are trying to do a little bit of both, where you're trying to make it very specific to make sure you get the answer that you want, but also to make it broad enough to allow for any other information that may be required. And sometimes, to be honest, there are so many questions to ask, you're jamming three questions into one and hoping it sounds like one, because you get one question and you get one follow-up. So if you ask the one question, and this is where it's challenging, and they don't quite answer what you were looking for. You don't get the answer, like maybe they go off on a tangent and forget a portion of it or something. You kind of have to decide whether you want them to clarify that as your follow-up or if you want to ask another question. And, you know, it's sometimes like this, this game where you're just, okay, well, this reporter needs this question asked really badly and this question does too. So you're trying to figure out like, okay, if, someone to ask this, if somebody asks this question, then I'm going to ask this question and this question. But if somebody asks this question and this question, then these are the two questions I'm going to ask. So uh, you know that you only get kind of two kicks at the can and you're just trying to make the best of it. And what you mean by other reporters is you mean other reporters for our station, because, again, just so that people can understand early in the days of the of the pandemic, uh, health officials in B.C. were doing a press conference five days a week. It was basically Monday to Friday. I think there was the occasional Saturday presser because I, I physically went to one of the last that you could actually physically go to. And there was only one question. So what would happen is. CTV reporters at, the, at that time, we were basically all working on pandemic questions or pandemic stories, and we'd have to figure out, okay, who's going to ask the questions today? You'd narrow it down to two or three reporters, and we'd all have to get on the line and all call in, because when you only had one question, they were taking it from more people, but then you didn't know if you'd get chosen. So then it was, okay, this is our lead story, whereas this is something that is more investigative or that is, is not as important. So you never knew if your question would get answered, and the pressures were happening so late in the day, we have to be our story done, ready, live, ready to go on the air for 6 p.m. And the press conference, I remember, Binder, it was like the first yep. month they weren't ending till like 4.30. So yes. that we've gotten to the point now where I think everybody's legislative reporters are generally the ones that uh, get in the queue to ask the questions. But you're right, you're in a situation where you're pretty sure you're going to get called on. But then when people, I, I see sometimes people on, on Twitter and social media, various channels are like, well, why isn't the reporter pushing? Normally, we're in the room, you are looking the person in the eye, you're making eye contact, it's a recorded conversation in a room, whereas right now, you have to ask the question and wait for the answer. And there's just there's no momentum that you would typically get for an interview. Yeah. And so and that's what's different, right? It's not like there was super great access before. So typically before, if there is a busy press conference, you would only get one question and one follow-up. But if you are able to sit in front of somebody, you could say, well, uh, sorry, that's not quite what I was asking. And they might just follow up, right? And answer that or clarify, or you could quickly ask a question like, John, I remember during the campaign, you asked a clarification question without realizing it would count uh, as one of your two questions. And I was like, John, you can't do that. You, you know, but yeah, know, what a waste. in the moment, <laughs> in the moment, I, you want to know, uh, you know, what are the facts? Because you're trying to tweet it out. You're trying to get uh, a web story. Up. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, 
it's difficult doing it on the phone. Um, it's especially difficult when there's sometimes a pause between Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix as they're moving. But if you're like I am on my computer taking notes, um, I start asking my next question without realizing, oh, 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 actually, um, Adrian Dix is about to speak now. Luckily, I think they've started to mute us so they can't hear us. But a couple of times it's, it's caused for kind of a little bit of overtalk. John, can you remember the circumstance Binder's talking about where you just organically asked that follow-up question without realizing? All too well. It's in my <laughs> nightmares, along with that whole movie. Um, yeah, I, was, I was down in person. This is one of those rare occasions when I went down in person to a press conference during the election at a John Horgan appearance. And it was an announcement about some healthcare funding that they had planned. And we had gone in intending guests to do a story on the healthcare funding, but also had a number of other questions. I think also one from you, Penny, about uh, the antics of another former candidate. And I, was, I wasn't really there. I was there made to make sure some of those questions got asked, but I was also interested in that announcement. And I quite naturally said, oh, when, when do you think this funding's going to finally arrive? Got the answer to that. And all the ministry handlers said, check. That's one question there, John. <laughs> <laughs> the answer was, you know, literally a month of the year, I think. So it was not usable for our purposes except for information. And I said, okay, well, I guess I better jump in with Penny's question, change the subject entirely, and, uh, and got, a, got a question out on behalf of the station. But it was a big lesson. You, you can't let those opportunities go. And, I, I mean, I think, I think it's, it's sad, I think, to, to have to be in that structure. I know we, we have to do it right now with the pandemic, but in the past, and this is, you know, only – a thousand years ago in this say 2019 <laughs> sometimes a lot of times politicians do want to answer your question and this format this new format does work to some extent for that but sometimes they don't and sometimes it, you need that conversational format to to see the dodge coming to have a question ready to prepare to, to try and get another answer sometimes there's a second dodge or a third dodge or they or they walk out on you it's happened a number of times and you, you, the, the, the best tool book in the journalist's uh, uh, arsenal, I guess, is, is that conversation where you can actually meet uh, somebody halfway and, and inquire a number of different ways about what they're really after. Yeah, and I think sometimes, like, in fairness to uh, politicians, you know, they've got, um, depending on the, the position that they're in, they've got handlers, they've got people telling them what their message is, what their talking points are. Sometimes they get nervous or they forget or they're, you know, a little bit stressed out because they have to remember what they're supposed to say. And I find oftentimes if you can just have a conversation and just chat with them and say, hey, I didn't quite get that or could you put that another way? Um, they, a lot of people genuinely want to get the message out. They do want to answer the question. So if you can make them feel comfortable just as a human being answering a question, as opposed to someone with a title who's supposed to say something, um, you can actually make a lot of headway. Yeah. You can mine your way through those talking points in a conversation. If, if a talking point is a, a pre-written line that a person in power is handed to by a number of staffers who are saying, for God's sake, please say this. Don't say that. And it gives them something to say in answer to what the anticipated questions are. But a lot of the times those talking points aren't useful to the audience. They, they don't really answer the question that we're actually posing. And so sometimes it takes two or three questions to get over the talking point. And then they feel like they've said it, we've heard it, great. But just can you answer this other really relevant thing that we're trying to get at? And we, with only one question or a, a question and a follow-up, you're hearing a lot more of these talking points. 
Well, and you had a situation uh, just the other day, John, where uh, the talking points did not prepare the uh, <laughs> decision maker for the question that you asked. Uh, we're talking about Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum was uh, making a specific announcement on something. And um, we should, I guess we should preface all of this. This was not a very well set up, uh, well oiled machine like we have with the health press conferences where they know that they're gonna, it's been two days a week uh, for the last several months, we're moving to three days uh, this week, but Surrey was not very well set up in terms of the announcement of their new Surrey police chief. And so John, if you could just kind of sketch out the circumstances and, and the question that you uh, lobbed the mayor and, and how that went over. Yeah, this is the, the announcement of the Surrey police chief back on Friday and um, you know, we had already broke the news of who that police chief was going to be the day before. So there was quite a bit of, you know, news left to get. We, we weren't really there for the purpose of the press conference because we'd already done the story. Um, and so, you know, and also to set the scene a little bit, most of these press conferences with Dr. Henry and with the other ones, we send that consortium camera, as you were talking about, Penny. Surrey Police Board decided we don't want a consortium camera. We don't want the guy or the, or the person who knows what they're doing and can get the video that all of the networks as one need with a single person in that room. We're going to do it with our own tech. And all right, so that's fine. We, we are not in charge of Surrey, so we'll roll with the punches. That's fine. Uh, so I'm sitting up there with my computer watching their stream. And the stream is not good. The stream is full of pauses videos are coming in and out the video is pausing and um, my, my favorite was the audio though because they couldn't when they're when they're bringing the reporters in to ask questions they didn't anticipate that the reporters would also be listening to the press conference at the same time so they would bring them in and then immediately they'd hear the own their own audio of the press conference from 10, 10 or 20 seconds beforehand broadcast loudly in the room at, they, there was no way around that. Um, they, they couldn't tell the person, hey, you're about to be on. Can you turn the, can you turn the audio off? That didn't happen. So there's because they were live streaming it. So essentially they were, they were expecting the reporters to use their live stream that they were putting on Facebook or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So, but without that anteroom or, or waiting room, if you will, to, to get people ready to go. Uh, and so this video of Norm Lipinski, the new police chief, trying to listen to what one of the reporters was, is asking and, Someone's saying, can you turn the feed off? And one of the reporters says, I got to listen to it. It's part of my job. What do you want? And this is all going out live. So <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it got to the point where I couldn't hear some of Norm Lipinski's answers because his own answers were being piped in from 20 seconds beforehand. And it was a, it was a jumble. So already we're a little bit, we're a little bit uh, on eggshells there. Um, but as I say, this was about the Surrey police chief, but we had questions about some, something else the mayor had been up to, which is a story I've been following for a couple of weeks now, which is that even though he gets a $14,000, $500 uh, car allowance, the city of Surrey bought a car for him to drive. It cost $46,000. No one's really sure. They say he's paying the money back, but he's only been mayor for two years. It would take at least three years to pay that money back for the for the city. So there's a lot of questions about what's going on. And he's been refusing comment for some time. But I get in the queue, as Benner was describing, I'm sitting there on that hold music, and I'm waiting for my option. I'm really hoping that uh, the tech problems hold it together. Uh, and I asked this question, you know, how, how does Surrey find the money to buy you this car? When you've got a car allowance, taxes are going up, the RCMP is costing more. And he laughed. And he changed the subject. 
how did the city find $46,000 to buy you a car to drive when you already get a car loan? <laughs> okay, um, to answer the, your first part. And my phone went dead at that moment. Oh, and, uh, oh wow. Yeah. So I, uh, I, didn't, I couldn't hear directly. They cut me off, right? It, it wasn't a, a technical problem because they said, he's asked this question, goodbye. And, and so then I could rush back and turn the volume back on to the feed and hear the answer, which was about the RCMP funding, which is a major problem. I and mean, that, that is a, a, a hurdle that Surrey has as it switches over to municipal force, but it had nothing to do with the car. And no follow-up questions and no other media. I, I think I was either the last or the second last person to ask a question in that press conference. So we were not going to get an answer about that car. Although I maintain that laugh <laughs> was a good chunk of the answer that we, that we needed. Well, and the, the mayor may not like that that was the answer, but unfortunately, <laughs> unlike when you have a, a human being, when you have a reporter in the room, uh, you can't mute people in the room. You can mute them on the phone. And it's very unfortunate. This is a, the reason I, I brought you on, John, is because it's a, it's a striking example. It's, I would say it's an egregious example of, of how uh, controlling um, people can be of our questions. And, and that's just why it's so important to be able to say, look, this can happen. And it doesn't serve anybody when we're not able to follow up and say, no, really, I, I know you're kind of brushing this off, but, but why is this happening? Yeah, that conversation is crucial. If we had a chance to ask a follow-up or even, you know, be in the room like in the, in the olden times, we would, I would have said, excuse me, sir, what did you mean by that laugh? Or can you tell me a little bit more about this arrangement? Why did you feel, you know, and you can keep asking these questions until he might have said something. He might have said something that justified that decision or explained it or, you know, took, maybe, maybe there's an answer out there that would take some of the wind out of our sails. But as of now, we've, we've not heard anything except that single laugh from the mayor. And we don't have an opportunity to get it. That, and I think that's, that's one of the tragedies of right now that I, that I think we, we should remember if we can move past the pandemic and everyone says, oh, these, these are great. We can just do all our journalism from our you know, living rooms. Fantastic. But we are really going to lose that opportunity to have a conversation. And that's going to be, a, I think, a, a real problem for public accountability and, and for what the audiences of the media can expect. Binger, yeah, and I see that you're just chomping at the bit to say something. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, and part of this is, I think the world that we live in is people are going towards trying to control more and more of these media availabilities. And so often we have seen a lot of organizations and politicians moving towards this model where they're trying to say, okay, we'll call on you for a question. You get one question, you get one follow-up. Sometimes you might be able to get another question in. Um, but where it is really different for me is in the scrums that we used to have, especially at the BC legislature. So uh, we have access when the house is in session to ministers four days a week when they are there. And we don't have to tell people, oh, I have a question. You go in and you ask your questions and you also kind of build off the energy of everyone else, right? Somebody's asking this question. You're like, wait a minute. Yeah. What about this portion of it? And you can kind of dig deeper into, you know, the answers that are given. And now we are doing all of that by phone. You get one question, you get one follow-up. And as John says, that means just more opportunity for those talking points to come across. If anyone thinks of that this is a better situation or a workable situation, I would say no. Um, that this is what 
you know, as journalists, we are saying, okay, we're going to do our best to abide by the public health orders and do our jobs. But really, um, I think it, there's a responsibility that politicians and organizations have that maybe aren't being fulfilled all the time in terms of actually providing the answers to journalists so we can get through this period of time. Well, and I think that there's enough agencies or government bodies right now that are not doing the same thing that prove that it is possible to do things in a different way. I'm thinking um, I hit uh, the homicide investigation team for most of the summer. They were doing their press conferences outside, but anybody was welcome to go. They also had dialing. Uh, the last time I went uh, a few weeks ago, uh, they had us inside in the media room, which is quite a large room. There's plenty of space to spread out at the best of times. There aren't a ton of reporters in there. There's a kind of a raised area in the back as well. But when you only have one camera operator, there's plenty of room for reporters to be in there safely. Um, I was able to ask as many questions as I needed to. Same thing with the Vancouver police. They've been doing the same thing. Uh, the city of Vancouver, um, I can't remember the last time that I was there, but they were allowing a limited number of reporters into the press briefing room at the city of Vancouver. There we were only able to ask a couple of questions, but you're at least able to, it's a, just a different quality of answer when somebody's looking at you in the face. Um, to be able to say to the mayor, I just don't understand why you're doing this. You get a very different answer than when it's just a disembodied voice on the phone. Um, and I got to tell you that for Vancouver police, for example, you go in there to um, on an issue, whether they're raising it or you're asking your own questions about something else, they let me ask as many questions as I want. And oftentimes, since I'm there in person, it's not far from the station or where I live, it's easy for me to go. There aren't a lot of questions on the phone because I'm able to ask what any journalist would be asking. Well, what time was that? This isn't quite clear. Just really basic stuff that should not ask, that should not count, John, as a follow-up <laughs> question, right? Here. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and I just want to put my, my taxpayer hat on for a second, because when you think about all these people and cameras and audio and tech people running around behind the scenes, that has a cost. And when I looked at uh, the city of Vancouver, a pre-pandemic equivalent, it was thousands of dollars per press conference for, for a city of Vancouver opportunity. Imagine that multiplied several times a day from all of the days we've had in the pandemic. The cost of this approach is probably very large, whereas the, the alternative, which is a, a person, a, t a talented, skilled photographer and, and a single person that can serve very, various networks, that's free to the taxpayer. That's a service that the media are providing at their cost. So I, I, if, I'm, if I'm a taxpayer wondering if this circumstance should continue, I got to look at that bottom line and say, is this really worth it for me to spend public dollars on essentially a, a, a press conference that just isn't as good as the previous version. Well, I also wonder what this does for um, trust and transparency. And I just don't, I don't mean just uh, in terms of journalism, but I mean in terms of the public officials as well, because when I listen to talk radio, when I look at social media again and again, I see people who sometimes they're regular in-depth news followers. Sometimes they're people that I, I consider in my mind just to be samplers and they, they don't tune into the news and all the details every day. Uh, but I see, well, why isn't this question being answered and why is no one asking this? If you listen to those press conferences, we have been asking the same questions again and again. Why are schools still open when there are so many exposure events? Why are all these things happening? Um, we're trying to get those answers. We often don't get those answers. So, you know, that's that reflects on us. But I also think, Binder, it reflects on, I don't know that Dr. Henry is necessarily 
trying to not answer the question. I think that she's trying to say a lot of things. We're trying to ask a lot of things. And when you're not able to have that back and forth, you don't get concise answers. Sometimes you don't get the answers you're looking for. And I don't know that it's necessarily trying to keep people in the dark or anything like that. I think it's just the format, again, is not conducive to answering a lot of the questions that people still have outstanding. Right. Because there is this thing that we do as journalists when we're asking people questions and they're going on for a long time where you start opening your mouth and leaning forward, <laughs> kind of saying, okay, yeah, but that's not what I'm talking about here. And you can't do that over the phone line. Um, but yes, you know, um, there are so many questions that get asked um, every single day. Um, and at the beginning, I think the public had a high level of interest in listening to those press conferences every day. And now that level of interest um, isn't there, but also uh, I think part of it is, is that people are back to their regular lives. So they're you know, back to you know, pick up and drop off with kids, perhaps back to their workplace um, or working those hours. And so it's a little bit different now in terms of getting that information out, but we have more scrutiny on us as journalists than we would most of the time the networks are carrying these press conferences live across the country, um, you know, as our radio stations and others. And so I will often get feedback on my questions from friends and family. Um, I once asked the premier if it was going to be okay for me to hug my mother on Mother's Day. That was that really wasn't... sweet. That was yeah, really and sweet. That's, and, you know, and that's an example of not necessarily – like me asking for myself, although partly it was, but it's trying to ask questions from the viewpoint of those who are listening and watching. And so a lot of these questions will come to us, um, you know, from viewers, from people who are asking us for clarification. But yes, with Dr. Henry, she tends to give, I think, um, we're used to kind of like black and white in journalism. Like, just just tell me, yes or no? Like, are you like, is this bill going to pass? Um, why not? Are you going to support it? Um, but with her, I think she's trying to give us guidance without telling us exactly what to do. And there will always be a certain segment of the population that wants things to be a little bit clearer. Yes, you can do that. No, you can't do that. Yes, you can do that. No, you can't do that. Whereas other people might like the guidelines because they don't want to be told what to do. So I think in public health, you're walking that line. She's not a professional communicator. Um, and so, yeah, we ask questions. <laughs> and sometimes they're repetitive and sometimes uh, they're not exactly what people want. Um, but that's how it goes. To your real person uh, issue there, um, I, uh, to me, I think what is still stands out as the most memorable question that I asked at one of those um, events was about dating it was when the yes. restrictions were first going to be yes. start being relaxed and people were going to um, start, you know, being able to go to restaurants and stuff again. And so I asked about people getting frisky and yes, the connection was not great. Some people thought I said freaky. I was not asking about people getting freaky. I was asking about people feeling frisky, particularly yeah, single people. I know. So that again, it was a question that I had a ton of um, feedback on, shall we say. Uh, and Dr. Henry was flustered. Um, she didn't know what to say because yeah. I was like, is kissing okay? Like, what's going on? And the answer, frankly, was not really usable because she, like, she went beet red. Um, she was really flustered. And 
So this leads me to another interesting dynamic as part of these consortium phone situations, which is other reporters, our competitors, we're fellow journalists, but we're competing against each other. Sometimes you count on them to ask a follow-up or to delve into something. Maybe Bender, you, with your two questions, you weren't able to ask my question or John's question, so you're really hoping somebody else will ask it. And in this case, uh, one of our colleagues uh, at uh, Global was able to ask a follow-up on the kissing, uh, canoodling question. And so that really helped us. Many people have adapted, I know, um, uh, to online and to talking online and to um, having encounters online that can be um, quite, um, uh, quite helpful in that regard. I mean, there is a certain dynamic, John. I mean, you've been in pressers where you kind of build on the energy of, you know, if you're peppering somebody with questions. But in this case, we're also literally counting on somebody else asking a question that we're, we don't have time to ask. Yeah, and sometimes you, you sort of step up. I, and I've been in situations where I've been in a big lineup of people in front of the microphone, either in real life or virtually, and somebody asks a question and the, and the politician or whoever it is doesn't answer it. I have thrown my question out the window and said, actually, I am interested in the answer to that. Would you mind, would you mind answering it? And so there are times when we can work together as different media outlets and, and give that sense of accountability, even in this framework. But that requires a lot to happen. That requires reporters to have the freedom to, to throw, that, throw that initial plan out um, and, and work together. And, and if, you, if you kind of make a bad draw on the person behind you, maybe you're not going to get that support. So it's, it, it's, a real, uh, it's a real roll of the dice. Uh, for the last uh, topic that I want to cover on this is, is kind of how do we, is it possible to fix this and what do we do going forward? Because I'm not going to be the first person to point out that the fact that uh, there are these basically empty rooms, it, it doesn't just make it um, easier in terms of avoiding answering questions, but uh, politicians are essentially putting themselves in a situation that they're not asking others to be in. And I'm thinking primarily of teachers. I'm thinking that there was that uh, commercial that was done early in the days of the pandemic that uh, Dr. Henry was in a room with like six students and she was mandating that teachers be in a totally different circumstance with a lot more kids with the, and not mandating the masks and all the rest of it. So I think that there's, um, I don't think hypocrisy is the right word. Maybe it is in terms of saying, okay, well, we expect kids and teachers to be crowded in a room together without the distancing we expect at most other workplaces. But for press conferences, you know, you people stay out, we're going to keep you at a distance. Um, is there something that can be learned from, you know, um, it's, it's easy to contact trace if there is an exposure event or something like that. And I, I'm just curious what both your thoughts are in terms of how we fix this and what we can do going forward. Binder, let's start with you. Yeah. And um you know, I'm, I'm a member of the Press Gallery Executive here in BC, and we've been kind of looking through these issues in terms of trying to get um, in person, um, getting reporters in person at some of these uh, news conferences. Some of the problem is, uh, for me, honestly, is actually the setup of the building. Uh, it's an old building. Uh, there aren't necessarily windows that open. Um, one doorway leads to a room. And then you go through another doorway, which is another room, which is where you might be. It's a trying maze to the legislature, someone, right? it is. Yeah, it's yeah. a total maze. So, um, and the hallways aren't necessarily wide enough. And so uh, if you go outside, then there become all these issues with noise and uh, different things. Is there a way to do it? Um, I think that's the question that we're grappling with right now. Um, I, at the beginning, we were just 
thinking, wow, what is happening? We were all in it covering COVID and the impacts on people and businesses. And now that we're kind of a couple of months into this way of doing scrums, I think a lot of people are looking for something to change. I'm not sure if we're at that point yet because of the case numbers. They're going up at this point. And we're hearing from Dr. Henry that in these cold months, it seems to spread easier inside. And so what do you do, right? How much do you push because you don't know how much could impact, you know, the spread of the virus at a certain place? Yeah, I don't, I don't have an answer for this. Maybe John does. (laughs) <laughs> John, we're looking to you for the answers. Well, oh, I just wonder, oh like, is, is the city of Vancouver model just having, you know, three reporters in a room or the way that I hit is doing it, large room, come on in. Is that the way we do it? I could stand to be corrected on this, but I don't think that's against any of the public health orders right now. We're not allowed to have social gatherings inside or outside, but that is not a social gathering. As long as we're wearing masks and trying to distance within that room, as I understand it, that is an acceptable solution uh, that offers us the in-person opportunity to question somebody, offers us to have the, uh, the ability with our technical equipment to make it look and sound good and, and accessible to the viewer. Um, and it's cheap. You know, you don't need to have an army of people operating uh, technology uh, at the public expense. So I, I'm supportive of that. And, and I, I hope it, if there is an opportunity, I know the weather's, aren't, weather's not that great right now, but there's nothing wrong with doing it outside. Um, that takes minutes to set up, uh, and uh, it's much easier to social distance. And you know, you could you could set up a press conference in the parking lot at Four Seasons Total Landscaping in no time, <laughs> <laughs> and it's free. So I, I would I would definitely say that that's those are the kind of options that public uh, officials should be looking forward to, rather than the overproduced, error ridden you know, disaster for democracy that uh, the Surrey press conference was last week. We can do better. And the title of this podcast is now Disaster for Democracy. I want to thank you both (laughs) for your time. Hopefully the people who are making some of the decisions listen to this because um, we are just earnestly trying to get the kinds of answers that people are looking for at a time that they're nervous, they're anxious. And I think that they just want to know some really basic things. We're trying to do that for them because we're their representatives. So thank you both for your hard work and for being on the podcast this week. Thanks very much, Penny. Thank you, Penny. And thank you for joining us on BTS with CTV. Is there a topic you'd like me to cover on a future episode of this podcast? Email me, bts at ctv.ca. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe for more insights, tidbits, and the stories behind the stories. I'm Penny Daphos. <laughs>